Welcome to Trainers Talking Truths. This is an ISSA podcast dedicated to exploring the fitness industry and uncovering the whys and hows of personal training. To do that, we'll talk directly to the industry experts and certified trainers. We'll dig into fitness programming, business tactics, nutrition, and more. You'll even hear from current training clients who offer insight from the other side. We've got the fitness industry covered, so turn up the volume and enjoy the drive. Hello, world. Welcome back for another ISSA podcast, Trainers Talking Truths. I am your co-host, Jenny Scott, here with my co-host, Dan, the man, Duran. How are you today, Dan? Well, I am great, Jenny. It's a real honor today to get to introduce uh, a new friend of mine who I met through a great friend of mine, uh, who I know you are all absolutely going to love, Oliver Patrick. And I think he goes by Ollie sometimes, So, and it, it just sounds so smooth. So uh, I'm going to call him Ollie. And high <laughs> level, high level, Ollie is a physiologist and leading expert in lifestyle management. He speaks widely on the application of contemporary well-being strategies and consults to businesses and individuals globally. So look, that's really high level because I wouldn't do it justice without asking Ollie to tell us a little bit more about what he does and how we got there. So we would love to hear that, Ollie. It'd be my pleasure. I've never been called smooth before. Uh, so <laughs> this, is, this is already the highlight of my year. I'm so thrilled to be with you both um, from, from the sunny UK. Uh, yeah, so, you know, very, very trying to do a quick bio, you know, no one really knows what a physiologist is. It's a bit like a nutritionist in the sense it's not a particularly classified word. So, you know, it's I came out of exercise physiology 23 years ago. Can you believe it? Um, <laughs> and, you know, much like many people graduating in exercise physiology, sports science, you know, had no career prospect whatsoever because I didn't have any skills that I could sell to anyone. Um, ended up in, in the medical institutions running you know, the sort of classic health MOT that people might go for once a year, but the sort of doctor-led, you know, the full doctor checkup, ECG, EKG, you'd call it in America, uh, blood work, examination, that side of thing. And interestingly, ended up um, feeling a bit like an imposter, as in why am I this sort of exercise scientist in amongst the medical profession, but then realized what I was talking about was more interesting and relevant than what the doctors were talking about. They were checking for ill health in people who weren't ill, actually with tests that wouldn't find it if it was there. And I was talking to people about energy, stress, sleep, digestion, libido, if they liked to talk about libido, which they did, and skin. <laughs> and interesting, you know, all the testing had really ignored those things that they're interested in. So I, I became quite interested in trying to find technologies to measure the biology of feeling. So how can I quantify who's the most stressed out of us on this call? And, and I can tell none of us are particularly stressed, but how could I measure that and see who's going to burn out? How can I measure who's the best nourished above and beyond who's got the, the ideal body weight. And we've used calories as a indicator of diet for too long, ignoring nourishment, its role in other biological functions. Who's more likely to get injured? And again, I'll, I'll give you a hint. It's definitely not you two. It'll be me. But, you know, who, <laughs> who, who moves best and therefore has the, 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 the least predisposition. And, and really I sort of became fascinated by measuring the physiology of feeling and then dovetailing that into medical products. And then I, I ended up starting a profession in the UK, health and well-being physiology in a large hospital group uh, and had the pleasure of you know, recruiting hundreds of exercise scientists and giving them a job that, that wasn't there before me. And then the last 12 years I spent on in a medical district delivering the world's most advanced health assessment. So working in a multidisciplinary team, looking after global high net worths, 
trying to use data and other opinions to solve the simple question, could they be ill? Could they be becoming unwell? And is there something I can do to make their lives better? And so I've sort of been exposed to every possible physiological test, but also the context in which that test sits. And then I popped out of that and started an academy to try and train fitness professionals in practical well-being skills, because I think well-being isn't well-defined, isn't well-understood, and I want, I want to change that. That's awesome. Really cool road that you took. And like the fact that you noticed that there was something that you could affect and that wasn't there and you just went for it, bull in a china shop and you just made it happen. Oh, and you know, little things, you know, you need a team around you who believe in you. So I, I had a, a brilliant medical director who said, look, you know, we're basically dealing with well people and everyone here is culturally and professionally trained in, in ill people, capturing someone who's not ill, but not well, becoming unwell. And you know, of course, when you go for a health assessment, most people aren't unwell. So you're looking for late stage cancers, late stage heart disease, late stage organ dysfunction in someone who hasn't got any of those things, but doesn't sleep well, doesn't move well, doesn't you know, have good energy. So if we really wanted the product to survive and thrive, it needed to, to be of value to normal people. And I, you know, I think, interestingly, there's a, there's a brilliant you know, provision in the, if you're unwell, getting you to less unwell, capability which is what medicine does and there's also a great provision in the performance end of the spectrum you know how do i get those marginal gains to push me from you know a, a, someone who's okay at sport to a, a you know a hall of famer but the the sort of pre-clinical normal people don't really get much attention they're not in the gyms they're not in the hospitals but they're they're probably slightly dysfunctional i became really interested in in working with normal people to make their lives better as defined by what that that means to them Absolutely. This is like the one instance where quote, quote, normal is good, right? <laughs> and actually, a normal is a terrible word, isn't it? So average. Yeah, because normal, you can be grossly ill, you know, and I, I, you know, I'll get cancelled before I start, before I wake up in the morning. And, you know, so you know, normal is a word I, I try to eradicate from my diet, from, from my dialect. So um, good pickup, Jenny. <laughs> well, I always think like people get so mad when you say normal or average. Like, it, what is normal wrong. or average? Like, it's, I'm six exactly. feet tall. You can't tell because we're on camera, but I'm really, that's average for me and my family. Yeah. I don't know about you. <laughs> totally. And so, yeah, and a baselining and, and, and you know, and interestingly, it's, it's a great pickup because, you know, there is no such thing as normal. But, yeah. but what we've got that underpins all of us is the functioning of our underlying physiology will determine whether our body breaks down and we get symptoms that could be classified as disease or whether our physiology drives us to performance, which could be defined as great energy, great clarity of thought, great creative functionality. So, you know, when, when I start with someone, it doesn't matter whether they are, you know, currently undergoing chemotherapy and they want to have less symptoms of that. Or I've got someone who wants to continue to sleep five hours a night and, and do that for two years to sell their company. My question is, what is your definition of what you want you know, improved? And then how do I manipulate your physiology to get you there? So the idea of classifying healthy versus unhealthy, normal versus abnormal, it really doesn't exist in, in my psyche. It's where are you and how do I make you a better functioning version of yourself? Absolutely. And I mean, what you do is so applicable. And the way that you think about this is amazing. Because I mean, let's talk about the, the pandemic. It's been two years running, right? So if you're talking about well being lifestyle, we know that being healthier, being in a better state of physical health is going to make you less at risk, right to get sick or to have adverse effects or die from this virus. Like I bet you've been going crazy with this, right? You've been screaming this from the rooftops for years now. And all of a sudden now it's applicable. What does this look like for you? Uh, you know, you, you've hit the nail on the head. Here was the window, right? Here was the window for all of us to say, right, 
the only way we'll really get a population health agenda is when we take accountability for our own health. So at the beginning of the pandemic, lockdown came, there was no vaccine. But early data showed, for example, that low vitamin D levels correlated with increased risk of mortality, as in risk of dying. With increased body fatness above a BMI of something like 24, which would presume that the person would have too much body fat in conjunction, there was an increased risk of mortality. We know that our immune system is modulated during sleep. So sleep becomes critical. We know our immune system is modulated also by our gut microbiome, these amazing bacteria and their trillions in our, in our gut. And yet the messaging around boost vitamin D, control body composition, make sure you sleep well, make sure you nurture your gut microbiome with whole foods, probiotic foods, with you know, mo gut motility driven by walking, nothing. No, nothing. And in the UK, we had, a, we had a brilliant thing where we were, we were literally locked down, of course, and we were allowed to go out for a walk daily. So suddenly we had this culture where everyone was walking. And, yeah, I, you know, and I live in a little village. Yes. Wasn't it brilliant? You know, out on the street, like, I've never seen you before. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> yeah. you know, and you know, people's vitamin D was probably going up a little bit because they, they went, got out of the house for the first time in a few years. So, you know, this, this, this was like the beginning. Okay, now we're walking. Now we can focus on nourishment. Now we can focus on rest and recovery. But, but the dialogue dropped. You know, population health management is, is tricky because you know, if you say everyone needs to go for a walk, of course, some people can't. If you say everyone needs to nourish, that becomes a socioeconomic challenge. So it's difficult. But, but I think that the total neglect of the more robust your underlying physiology, the less likely you are to get complications. And again, you'll get very fit people who had big problems with COVID and, and big problems with long COVID. But the, but the traditional distribution, the sort of the, the distribution curve would say the better your physiology, the better your chance of surviving and thriving under a viral condition. And that dialogue was, was a huge opportunity that's, that's been missed. And that makes me, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, you know again. and yet that, that's our life's work, all of us, you know, trying to get people to, to build the tools and platforms to control their physiology. You know, that might be to a performance goal. It might be to a health goal. Um, and, and we just could have done with a really good boost and I don't think we got it. We've got another ISSA rapid review coming your way. Andrea Byers had this to say about our corrective exercise specialist. This was a pretty tough course when it comes to the final exam, but worth it. The amount of information and the course layout is great. Thanks, Andrea. So, I what I'd like to hear about, Ali, because a lot of our listeners are in uh, traditional uh, coach or personal trainer roles or in leadership roles and so forth. And in fact, we just finished uh, recording a podcast about careers in, mm. in personal training or in fitness, wellness, et cetera, exercise science, and how many different directions you can go. And what you're talking about uh, and, and your, your, your course, which we'll talk about today as well, I believe is filling a gap in, 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 in two different things that we consider fairly different. Uh, and that would be fitness. And I use that term, you know, fitness, but wellness, um, health and fitness, however you want to phrase it, and medicine. So you've got yeah. these two different areas. Can you talk more about, you know, where, where your understanding, your education, and where your passion is in between those two, and how the trainers and listeners might be able to explore that gap and do something with it, truly make an impact? That's a, I think it's a, it's, it's a great question. It's a big one. So, you know, I think medicine can't do well-being. You know, it's not in its culture. It's not in its professional scope. You know, I've sat in, in with, you know, hundreds of doctors doing thousands of hours 
of consultation, they're overloaded trying to take people who have become dysfunctional back to the point where they have no dysfunction. The medicine yeah. doesn't get well-being. I'd go one step back and say the definition of well-being is a bit of a shambles as well. Shambles, a good word that translates. It's a bit, yeah. you know, up yeah. in the air. It doesn't, mm -hmm. it's, it's not consistent. We've got a, you know, a multi-trillion dollar industry where the biggest contributor to wellness is anti-aging skin creams. Now, <laughs> what? Hey, now, touche. <laughs> Of which you can see that I'm clearly a, a you know a major. Yeah. I need to spend some money on that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I spend enough on SPF to cover all of us because you know, <laughs> you know, I am not one for the summer, as you might notice. And um, so you know, we've got it. What is well-being, and, and how is the wellness industry predominantly driven by cosmetics that we apply to our skin? Because that's very different to eating a nourishing diet, which is also very different to who controls my sleep. I think you know the the gap for me is is I, I like to think of well-being as, as do I work the way I'd like to work? And if I don't, I always look at physiology simply and say, every day there are hundreds of interfaces with my physiology that, that impact on it positively. I might hydrate, I might move, I might hug someone and that might produce um, oxytocin, you know, the, the, the hormone of, of human connection. I might um, laugh. These are all beneficial things to my physiology. That same day I might inhale pollution. Um, I might uh, drink alcohol. I might overload on stimulants like caffeine. And those are negative inflections on my physiology. And we, we have these sort of two things that happen to us on a simple level, positive things that affect my physiology, negative things that affect my physiology. And whether I feel well or not will be whether the sum of the positive outweighs the sum of the negative, plus minus my genetics, because I might have amazing genes uh, that buffer all those negative inputs. I might have pretty dodgy genes. My, my genes aren't great, talking about my DNA. Um, so when everything goes wrong, I, I ring the parents. I'm like, you know, could you not have done a little better? You know, this is your fault. <laughs> it's your fault. And they're like, well, I don't know which 50% of mine you got. So they've got a very good argument <laughs> in that regard. But, you know, so in, in that being the case, what, what I think was interesting with medicine, medicine subspecialized very early into cardiology, endocrinology, gastroenterology. Yeah. And, and, it, and in many ways, it's diversified beyond any logic of human functionality. That's not how the body works, of course. Yet over here, we see lifestyle doing the same where you've got fitness really controlling my movement interfaces with my physiology you've got nutrition and dietetics controlling my ingested interface who then deals with the other ones right so in my clinical experience the way in which i recover would be as impactful on my physiology as my movement and my nutrition i would also have a huge impact on my physiology from the way i think so my mindset if i'm an optimist i have a greater life expectancy than a pessimist so in, on a simple level, you know, someone with childhood trauma will be more predisposed to heightened anxiety, heightened anxiety, more predisposed to cardiovascular disease. So we, we, the way I see the world will also interface with my physiology, as will my environment. If I live within 100 meters of a main road, I have an increased risk of a heart attack compared to someone who might, like, like Dan, live in a ranch and, and you know, have the, <laughs> the gorgeous air uh, to consume. And envious is the minimum word to describe how I feel about that, Dan. So... You know, we've got this situation where, okay, so I would break lifestyle into those five domains, how I move, how I nourish, how I recover, how I interface with my environment and how I think. Yet to control my lifestyle, I don't want to see five different experts. That seems crazy because I'm, I'm pre-clinical. I'm not in a state of, of great distress, but my lifestyle is, it's strange that I would go to a fitness professional who wouldn't also give me structured advice on nutrition. And we know good fitness requires good nutrition, my macros, my calorie yeah. control, my protein, my, my micronutrients. But I think what's, what's grossly missing is the understanding of recovery. 
because in recovery, I would talk about things if, if we're being technical. I know some people will, will be with this, the volume of parasympathetic tone. So my body's ability to go into physiological recovery, my mm-hmm. body's ability to engage anti-inflammatory activity. So reduce this unwanted inflammation, my ability to go into deep sleep. So mm-hmm. slow wave sleep has an enormous regulatory impact on the body, but is compromised by a number of things. And my body's ability to buffer oxidative stress, which is cellular damage to my tissues. So those things are, are a hugely important part of my physiology. And if, and if I said to you, oh, who's, who's the recovery expert, Jenny, Dan? Like, well, there, there ain't one. Yet, you know, my clinical experience, your ability to recover is in to go into parasympathetic tone, to go into deep wave sleep, to reduce inflammation is as impactful on your physiology as whether you, you, know, you train, which is as impactful as whether you nourish. Yet we've got no professional who does that. Yeah. So I think for me, you know, and, and this is too long an answer, so I'm, apologies, but you know, principally, the gap is that they, there needs to be a, a sort of a centralized well-being professional for me who can be the custodian of all those domains until the point a specialist is required. So I believe that the fitness professional can expand their capability to run solid nutritional interventional advice, solid recovery advice, understanding environment, and some basic understanding of mindset. And they become the coach, you know, an ind- any individual, not just the elite athlete, not the person recovering from disease, goes to that individual and they say, look, I don't feel the way I want to feel. And they're not myopic to say, well, I only see things from fitness. Because, you know, I've seen people who are grossly dysfunctional who train five times a week. Yeah. I've seen people who are grossly dysfunctional, train five times a week, eat a beautiful diet. But they've got a, you know, a very difficult mindset. They've got terrible sleep routines. They've got terrible ability to disengage from social media and, and blue light technologies. So we can't get, those two won't bully the overriding effect of the collective. So my, my sense is well-being is a bit of a wild west. It's a product marketplace, not a service marketplace, which is why skin creams promise you they'll make you look 15 years younger and people go, well, hey, that sounds fun. You know, and, and I would, you know, if that really did work, I'd be all over it. So, <laughs> So we've got these passive products that are telling us they're going to provide us a holistic solution, but there's no professional to give us unbiased clarity of information in that space. So I, I believe the fitness professional with some upskilling is best placed to be the well-being professional. Um, and I want service to overtake products in the, in the well-being opportunity. Medicine won't do it. It's over-resourced. It's, it's busy. It can't do it. Fitness needs to move outside of performance, outside of special populations and find those Let's call them average people, Jenny, before I, you know, <laughs> de- <laughs> before I get, I get cancelled. Um, you, know, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Um, yeah, no, I, I think that's beautifully explained though, Ollie. Like I never, I, I've thought of it that way, but not really. Like how medicine is broken up into the individual organs, but they all work together. Hello, if you know anything about the body, it all works together. And fitness is doing the same thing. And I mean, even not to say that the way that certifications are done and education for fitness professionals is done is wrong, but we do the same thing. Like we have an exercise recovery course. We have a health coaching course. We have a transformation specialist course, which deals with mindset and goal setting. We have the personal trainer, but to your point, they're all separate, right? First of all, I mean, to our defense, I think it's because it's, it'd be a giant book, right? It'd be like a Harry oh, Potter gosh. manual if it was yeah. all in one book. It's a lie. But that just encourages people. This is the why, reason why you need to continue your education and expand into all of these aspects that you're talking about, because okay. you're absolutely right. You can be far more effective as a fitness professional if you can help someone with all these things. The clients are going to get more out of it. But yeah. the bottom line is that it is, it is all connected. So you can't just focus on one thing and expect to get 
results. So totally. beautifully explained. Totally. Well, brilliant. And I think, you know, the, the more people have been in the industry, the more they recognize, you know, effectiveness matters, you know, and, and I, I might consult with gym groups and say, well, how many of your members got fitter? They'd be like, sorry, how, how many renewed? Is that what you're asking me? I'm not asking whether you renewed. How many got fitter? They don't know what fitness means. You know, Dan, you're right. It's, sure. it's a terrible word. We're sort of saddled with it. But it, it's task specific, not biologically specific. Um, all right, forget fitness. How many got, you know, healthier? What? You know, so we, we got no, yeah. we, what does it mean? So we've got no outcome metrics, which, you know, brings us the idea of how do I test any of these things potentially? Um, but the longer you're in the industry, the more you say, actually, why am I not getting results? And you bring in more nutrition and you bring in a bit of sleep and you bring in a bit of recovery and you bring in a bit of mindset coaching. And I, I suppose I just want to accelerate that, that you don't need to be a 20 year personal trainer before you have that sort of road to Damascus moment um, where it all suddenly makes sense. Yeah. A heavily yeah. biblical. <laughs> and, and it, it really hits home. Uh, you know, I've mentioned before, I've made, I've made quite a few turns around the sun. And what I learned in now that I'm getting older, as well as having the opportunity to train a lot of people, uh, to your point about fitness, most folks out there will not say, I want to get fitter. Yeah. They will say, I want to move better. I want to have yeah. more energy. I want to sleep better. Maybe they want to lose some weight. I want less inflammation. I want to be able to play with my kids. I don't want to get freaking cancer when I'm 45. You know, that's what they really want. But Absolutely. we tend to, you know, be thinking buns and guns and yeah. three or four <laughs> sets of eight today instead <laughs> of the, the, the real, you know, holistic solution to what people actually want. I, I agree. And, and, you know, the positive news in here is, you know, modulating movement is still probably the most powerful way to drive more energy, to reduce cancer risk, you yeah. know, but, but it's got to be strategically part of a bigger plan rather than, than working in a, in a silo. And, you know, again, to me, fitness needs to rebrand itself from calorie burning to biologically enhancing. You know, my favorite benefit of increasing aerobic capacity is you build more mitochondria in every cell of your body. Mitochondria, yeah. the batteries of human energy combustion. The big difference between me and my dad, who's turning 80, is I have more mitochondria in my cells of better quality, so I can combust more energy, and I have more lean tissue to enable a greater functional capacity. So the two biggest things that correlate with aging, and I would actually say two of the biggest things that cause aging, are diminishment of aerobic capacity, diminishment of lean tissue and strength. Well, the best place in the world to, to attenuate or reverse those is in a gym. So the gym is anti-aging, you know, it, it's, but, but that, that aging is also degeneration of physiology. So yeah. if I build aerobic capacity and lean tissue capacity, you know, and, and strength, I actually create so many positive ripples up into my blood work, into my hormone levels, into my sleep, that fitness is the fulcrum of being well, but it's not the, the single point solution. But again, you know, if I'm trying to convince someone to, to begin more movement, like Dan says, I've got to listen to its energy. It's not, you know, some, some performance goal, it's reduced disease risk, not, you know, necessarily uh, a body composition change in, in all cases. And that's why fitness hasn't yet for me cracked the non-gym user market. You know, the UK, we're at about 13 and percent penetration of the adults. Um, I don't know what the stats are in America, but that means, you know, over 80% of people don't go to the gym. Some won't, some will train outside of it, but that group haven't found their reason why. And they haven't understood that the gym is, is, could be, you know, their hub for, for driving well-being habits and behaviors. Absolutely. So, I mean, speaking of gyms, you co-founded the first lifestyle medicine gym in Oxford. Um, so what does that facility look like? Because we know you just said it, the, 
the, the gym is the kind of the fulcrum of which all this surrounds, but how do you guys incorporate everything else there? A great question. So two, two things we said, how do we bring the non-gym user to the gym? So there's a cultural piece there in terms of the appearance of the center, absence of mirrors, mm-hmm. music. We, we, we said, for, forget the word gym. We had to call it a gym, but forget the word gym. Um, let's work on what are the key biological systems that are most neglected by modern life. And let's put an intervention to those biological systems in this room. So my intervention to muscle loss and sarcopenia was to do um, the, the electric eccentric uh, equipment. So we have eGym and, and Milon, these machines, they are um, they're effectively automated gym machines that you don't have to choose the weight. You do a one rep max and it programs your weight and then loads your eccentric phase to, to provide Ooh, triggers. Yeah. Cool stuff, really cool stuff. It's a very German initiative. And, and I worked in, a, in some German clubs and saw this um, as a very effective way of doing weight training for people who didn't want necessarily all the, the skill acquisition of learning how to do weights. Sure. So we said, look, what, what are my things I'm worried about? Let me start with that. I'm worried people are losing mass, muscle mass. I need to, to build lean tissue in the key planes of motion or sustain lean tissue. I know VO2 max and aerobic capacity is dropping. So I need some kind of intelligent interval style cardio interspaced with the resistance. I know musculoskeletally, most people have stiff thoracic spine, weak glutes, tight hip flexors, because that's the byproduct of sitting. So let's build a clinical Pilates protocol into everyone's routine and then do a biomechanical analysis and add a piece to that. So what are the three things I think to be going down? And what are the three things I would intervene there? We know people have um, relatively poor nutritional knowledge. So we'll run some markers of nutritional quality. So we ran an antioxidant measurement on skin to just create a dialogue around fruit and vegetable intake. Uh, We did run microbiome analytics to engage in in fiber intake, gut motility, and all these other things. We put infrared saunas in to create the idea of boosting physiological recovery and create a dialogue around toxicity and detoxification of which sweating is a a recognized method and uh, infrared sauna is a good way to induce that. And and the the, the name of the place, you know, we had had assessments, we ran out of there, we had, you know, wellbeing coaching. But it fundamentally was, what are the things that most people don't get in the real world? And how do I condense them into one process? So you didn't choose what you did. I chose what you did. Because I can't expect an individual to come in and curate this, you know, how on earth, how many reps do I do here? And what heart rate am I there? So once we'd done some analytics up front, we gave them a, a routine that would be much like brushing their teeth. And that's how we positioned it. You come here twice a week, 35 minutes, and you brush the teeth of your physiology. Um, and we saw incredible improvements in people who had never never been in a gym environment before. Um, so like that, I'm going I'm to put that on my new t-shirt, brush the teeth of your physiology. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's legit. <laughs> so I'm good. Just writing that down. <laughs> and again, you know, everyone's like, the idea that fitness is a hobby, it is for those who enjoyed it in school, who were sporty. You know, if we're going to make your quality lifestyle interventions mainstream, people have to understand the why. Yeah. So we need to know that it works and we need to create a culture that, that moves it beyond the idea that everyone's going to love it. I don't care if you like it or love it. I'm going to show you you need it and you benefit from it. And that will become the association. Not yes, that this okay. is fantastic. I like that. I don't <laughs> care if you like it. You're going to do it and it's going to work. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> that's awesome. I mean, that's true. Sometimes that's what, like whether you feel like you need that or not. Sometimes people just need that kick in the butt from somebody who knows what they're talking about and says, look, 
this is yeah, where you're exactly. at. This is where you want to be. This is what you need to do, right? It's not an option. And, and the opportunity of, you know, not the punitive. So I, I never position data as, you know, if your data, if your BMI and body mass, you know, your, your body mass index and your body composition is too high, these are the risks. It's like, look, you're telling me your energy is six out of 10 because your body fat, you know, for a male, I'd like it to be below 20%. And mine's, yeah, let's imagine I'm at 24%. I say, look, if we get that to 22%, I'd expect the biological benefit to be more energy. Is that worth it to you? I'm not going to sell to a 44 year old and reduce risk of diabetes. I haven't got a clue what that means. Yeah. It's intangible. It's illogical. So I, you know, I think the opportunity of changing physiology is much better than the risk of not. And, and I, and so in the training I provide, it's always, what is the benefit of the change? Not the risk of the absence of change. Ooh, I like that. That's a great way to approach it, especially for those resistance clients, but in general, great yeah, way. I think it, and, and people think they're going to come in and be told off and, and you know, you, you Again, when I work in, in, in when you talk in medical practice, I'd sit on the same side of the desk as someone, not the other side. You know, I'm on your team. You're yeah. going to run this. You're going to run this. I'm your quarterback to just make sure that that we're making correct, you know, intelligent decisions. But it's about the opportunity of well-being, not the risk of ill health, because we've messaged like that for 30, 40 years. It doesn't work. I like that. Well stated, Ali. Good. If you're happy, I'm happy, Jenny. <laughs> <laughs> in my house, you say, Mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. That's you can, you can, you can write that quote down too, Jenny. So, I'm getting that one. That one. I'm getting that one. That's going on the shirt, Jenny. <laughs> you know, elaborating just a bit on the testing. Ollie, for, for, you know, the personal trainers, again, uh, the typical audience of listeners and the folks that are buying our courses and so forth. Um, you were the, 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 the head of physiology at Nuffield Hospitals. And like you said, you, you talked a lot, you uh, prescribed, lack of a better word, uh, testing so that you'd have data to be able yeah. to move from. What, what types of testing or physiological testing can a trainer use, you know, not that they could recommend it would be something that they could interpret and maybe make, you know, create some application for their clients. It's a, it's a, it's a brilliant. And it's a big, it's a big question because a test itself doesn't make anyone healthier. You know, I've run yeah. some of the most advanced testing protocols. You still end up at the end of that with someone who's got to move more, nourish better. So, you know, ultimately tests would generally break down into, into different categories. Some tests are trying to find disease. We don't know whether we've got it or not. It's like a screen. Mm -hmm. Some tests are trying to work out, if my physiology is moving towards disease. So, you know, am I, if I, if I measure my arterial stiffness, do my arteries look like a 60 year old or a 45 year old? If they look mm -hmm. like a 60 year old, then I'm more likely to have a problem than if they look like a 35 year old. So that might drive me to change my behaviors. So I'd call those pathophysiological tests. Um, screening would be the top there, pathophysiological. I can measure biology. So I can measure your gut microbiome. And this is where people get a little bit confused because that doesn't mean anything. You know, I can measure 10 people's gut microbiome. I don't know who's got irritable bowel syndrome. But if the person who's got irritable bowel syndrome, if I measure their gut microbiome and it's not good, the opportunity of improving it might be worthwhile to the symptoms, if that makes sense. So, yeah. or I can measure behavior, you know, which, which is really interesting. So we have to determine what is the question we're asking and then the test will flow from that. I think, you know, what we've got is, is physiological testing is being driven by, by product providers, not by... Um, not by the, the, the service providers. So there's a Samsung watch that measure EKG, saturation of oxygen. It will measure um, heart rate variability, sleep cycles. It's a pedometer. You know, it's, it's a lab on your wrist. Now, I find it extraordinary that you'd take that to the gym and they wouldn't be able to, 
to to factor that information into the, the programming you're going to get. We've got Whoop and Aura running very intelligent, heart rate variability. Hey, I'm, I'm a Whoop wearer. I've lost my Whoop. Jenny, I've lost my whoop. Uh, whoop, whoop. So I love Whoop. So Whoop, again, is, is using a very intelligent heart rate variability algorithm to determine whether I'm, you know, my load, and that's collective psychophysiological, you know, exertional load is outweighing my quality of recovery. It's effectively doing a what's my volume of parasympathetic activity and if it's low then i haven't recovered sufficiently to overload that biology again tomorrow now that would be probably the most singularly useful parameter in in human health physiology but whoop have marketed it to the athlete because they're the, the ones who will understand the benefit from an overtraining perspective but that would also be useful to the the person who doesn't exercise but works 17 hours a day overstimulates on caffeine self-medicates on alcohol in the evening to show them they actually can't keep doing that because the absence of recovery will diminish their immune system and they're going to get a problem. Yeah. COVID, cancer, other. So it's, it's a long, long question. I think it, on a simple basis, you know, if I want to say how effective am I, I'd like to measure the output of the things I'm changing. If I'm giving someone aerobic programming, I'd like to see their VO2 max going up and I'd like to prove that to them. Or I'd like to see their lactate threshold going up, which may move quicker than, than VO2 max. If I'm giving someone strength training, I'd like to see an, a marker of strength that we could use the one rep max or we should be doing body composition. I, I can't see any gym that wouldn't want some kind of body composition analytic, not to measure how much fat you've got, but to measure how much muscle you have. And if we think of loss of muscle mass as we age as maybe the biggest driver of decreased functionality, everyone over 50 should be measuring body composition quarterly. That is unequivocal. But we need someone who isn't going, oh, you've got too much fat, Mr. Patrick. Um, they want to be going, oh, your muscle mass has dropped a kilogram. Therefore, whatever weight training you're doing is insufficient to sustain your mass. So that's curating. So, you know, some marker of aerobic fitness, some, some marker of, of muscle mass retention by which we can take a, a bone preservation assumption also, and some marker of movement quality. So, you know, we're getting intelligent ways of, of doing 3D body you know, movement on, on technologies, you know, almost the technology from the Xbox is sort of able to quantify movement. Is my movement quality range of motion decreasing? In a gym, if you're a good trainer, you're changing these three things. But are you, you know, is the intensity right? Are you overloading? Are you on the right journey? So I, I think if someone's thinking about testing, then I would always encourage to, to affirm the quality of what you're doing. If, if I said, what's the best test? Coming back to Whoop, the reason I, I wrote the course on, on um, you know, the practical coaching around stress resilience is I feel the biggest area of biology that most enhances what we do with our fitness and what we do with our, our nutrition is understanding recovery. And heart rate variability gives you the best insight into physiological recovery. Mm -hmm. So the application of heart rate variability, both as an ambulatory, like a, a whoop you wear all the time, or a point of care, something I do in a gym environment, would open the dialogue around, do I breathe properly? Do I digest, do I sit the, and digest my food appropriately? Do I adopt appropriate sleep hygiene in the last few hours before bed? Do I have consistency in my wake and sleep rhythm? So it creates a dialogue around some of the most important behaviors that modulate all physiology. So I think measuring, you know, VO2 max, lean tissue mobility is, is bread and butter and, and proves effectiveness. But if the coach of the, if the fitness professional wants to be the coach of the future, they need to understand heart rate variability and how that drives a dialogue that, that they couldn't have without it. 
Absolutely. And I think everything you're saying, Ali, is coming full circle to things that you said earlier, the fact that we need to combine all these aspects of well-being. Um, but when you have a device like this, to your point, the average person is going to look at that app and it's got a great a lot of information and it's laid out really nicely, but they're still going to look at it and be like, what am I supposed to do with this? Like, I have a friend who signed up for a whoop. I'm not going to say his name, love him to death, but he signed up for, he did it for three months. I was like, why'd you stop wearing your whoop? He said, because it kept telling me my recovery score was low. So I turned, I took, I took it off. <laughs> Brilliant example. Mama Jamma, yeah. it's telling you to change something, but they don't know that, right? They don't All they know see what is, to change. This is what you're doing wrong. And to your point earlier, sometimes you have to turn it around, reframe the conversation. It's not about what you're doing wrong. Here's what you can do better, right? Here's what we can improve on versus this is what you're doing wrong. This is incorrect. This is bad, right? And we're telling them, like, nobody wants to be told what they're doing wrong. I know I'm doing it wrong. That's why I'm here, <laughs> right? So- <laughs> I love what you're saying right now, but yeah, as coaches, we have to understand like what device are they using? What information are they getting? How can we present this to them in a way that makes them see, Hey, you're not doing everything wrong, but these are the things that we can do better to make you feel better, to make you get whatever you said that your stated goal was. And I love that. Love that. I think that that's the perfect summary. And again, we can't be outpaced by technology. Whoop can't run. You know, I love whoop. Whoop can't run well-being. You know, mm -hmm. And that's the, you know, creams, whoops, aura, you know, you know, Garmin, they're running well-being. A practitioner's got to take control for me. Yeah. And, and these are ingredients. I'm the chef. Right, bring, bring me, bring me your tomatoes. Bring me your I, will, I love it. Insert B-roll of ratatouille. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. So as we close out here, tell us, you mentioned it, your practical stress resilience coaching course. Um, you kind of told us a little bit about it, how it's working to help people manage their stress and manage the mental aspects of their well-being. Where can people find more about this course if they're interested in it? Brilliant. The course has been freshly accredited by ISSA, I'm pleased to say. So that's the yeah. stamp of quality. Um, yeah, so the, the website is www.futurepractice.org. Um, the, the course is, is digital entirely. It's eight and a half hours of video content, takes about 13 hours to complete. It, it's really taking a, a view of, look, stress is, is, is the word people resonate with, but it's about recovery. It's gonna take, how does a thought, you know, how does me being in a difficult work situation end up as a stomach ulcer, cancer, you know, disease? Something's gotta happen physiologically. So it's a physiology, it's a physiology driven intervention program for, for talking and dealing with stress. And the idea is to say, look, you, you, you understand fitness, you've got basic nutrition. I'm going to bring you sleep. I'm going to bring you um, recovery. I'm going to explain the autonomic nervous system, parasympathetic tone. How does a thought overwhelm my coping? How does that turn into pre-pathology and how does that turn into dysfunction? And then most importantly, what are the practical steps a fitness professional can do? What is, what is our relationship with caffeine? How that mimics adrenaline? What's our relationship with blue light, circadian rhythms? All these things people hear about, but I think they've got to be an expert in, certainly a, be a better expert than the person who sat in front of them wearing a whoop or, or a garment. So the course is, is available online. Um, again, it's ISSA uh, CEC approved, which is, which is great for us. Um, and it's doing good things. So I'm really, really proud of it, which is, which is a nice thing. That's awesome. And you get, you guys did give us a little sneak peek of that course and we're all almost through it and it's phenomenal. You guys really good opportunity. And I love that it's video content too, because that's a lot easier for some people to, to get through. So yeah, it's, it's again, it's, we sort of filmed it in the masterclass format. So it's quite accessible. It, it's a lot of me, but that's the only downside. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> well, Americans love the British accent. So I know you're, I know you're global, but we love the British accent. So that's well, all that good. Is great. That's great. I do it with a, I do it with a sort of 
a celebrity trainer in the UK. He's a, but he's, he, he retrained, he did some training with me years ago and became a well-being coach. And so he's always grounding the perspective of a trainer who went trainer plus. And he's now, you know, uh, sponsored by Lululemon, by probiotic brands. He's become an example of if a trainer just adds, you know, 5% to what they can do, they, their, their opportunities are quite plentiful. And he's jolly handsome. So he, he, he's <laughs> handsome. So, yeah. yeah. Nice. I like that trainer plus. That's going to be a new trainer plus. That's yeah, the, I that's do. The aim. Yeah. That's the aim. That really is. <laughs> Brilliant. Nice. So we know how to find the course. How can people get in touch with you or follow you? Well, I, I have, you know, I have an Instagram of uh, clinical well-being. That's my name. I'm also well-being dad with me living a sort of relatively clean life with my with my children and wife. Um, but, you know, at clinical well-being, I have a website, uh, www.oliverpatrick.com, which I use for my corporate work, advising organizations and businesses, etc. Um, and through the Future Practice website, you can also email and get in contact. And um, so lots of different ways to, to find me out there or LinkedIn. If people are, are wanting to talk the, the language of business, I, I talk that too. Nice. You're everywhere. I love it. Everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. Thanks. Thanks for that. That's awesome. Well, wonderful. I almost said, I'm not mocking you. I almost said brilliant conversation. Wonderful conversation, Ali. <laughs> Very good. I pick up accents really quickly. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's really cool. It's been my, it's honestly been my pleasure to spend time with both of you. So I, I've loved it. And and your, all your support off camera is as good as your support on it. So I'm hugely grateful for that. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. Dan, any last words for Ali or our listeners today? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, don't be just a trainer. Be a trainer plus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Be a trainer plus. And this is how you can do it right here. Truly make a difference. I love it. And everything Ali said today goes along with everything that Dan and I tell you guys all the time. Always be learning. You have to learn more and we have to connect the dots, not only for ourselves, but for the people that we work with. There's a lot of dots out there. How are we going to connect them for them so it all makes sense and they actually get the results that they want? No no more spinning wheels, right? We know it needs to be done. Who's ready to go out there and do it? That's the big question. Um, so there's a lot out there, but definitely check out the practical stress and resilience coaching course. Again, phenomenal content, you guys. Great way to continue your CEUs because we've got yeah. it approved. Um, but thank you again, Ali, for joining us. Phenomenal conversation today. Oh, it's my, my, my pleasure. You two are class act. So um, it's, been, it's been great fun. We could have gone on for hours, but I'm sure... Uh, people sure. will be logging off. This is about right. <laughs> <laughs> nope, they'd still be with us. <laughs> I bet. You too. But thank you guys for listening as well. We are glad you joined us. Hopefully you took something away. Listen, re-listen, whatever you need to do, guys. But we always implore you, make good choices. We will be talking to you soon. Yeah.